Buck, what's going on? I don't know. Hello and welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid and the only show to know that you're not sated till you are quaded. I am Jeb Lund and I should have been a severed gland scuttling across the floors of honky-tonk bathrooms and I'm here with a conveniently placed sports water bottle for a tracheotomy, Sarah D. Bunting. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> so, sorry, I've never prepared for these. So, you know, clown shoes laced up, joke trampled, let's proceed. Perfect. All right. Awesome. Today we are talking about 1997's Switchback, written and directed by Jeb Stewart. No relation. But before that, uh, we have our pod business. Do you have any pod business, Sarah? I don't. I don't think I do. Okay. Well, our top story tonight is the Denison's podcast is still dead. <laughs> Great. All right. Now let's switch back to the movie. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah, it's going to be like that, folks. So 1.5 speed is your friend. <laughs> 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 All right, let's let's go ahead and do the plot summary so we can talk about what the heck happened in this movie uh, right. before we start with uh, what the heck went wrong with this movie. Mm. We open with a woman alone in a house with a boy playing upstairs. A weird person comes to the door and gives her the willies. Good thing because she's about to die and the killer is about to stand ominously behind the boy. Is he dead? Is he alive? We don't know. Cut two months later, Amarillo, Texas. Two people are dead in a motel and Sheriff Buck Olmstead, played by R. Lee Ermey, the only unimpeachably good thing about this movie, is investigating. He's uh, facing a re-election challenge from a slimy Amarillo police chief, Jack McGinnis, played by William Fickner. Cut to Bob Goodall, Danny Glover, picking up a hitchhiker who we later learn is Dr. Lane Dixon, but who we now recognize only as Jared Leto, 17 years before he does things like tweet pictures of himself posturing in reverent thought by a backyard fire pit and above quotes from MLK, like a smarmy little shitbird. But he leans great. <laughs> Bob's Cadillac is lined with nude pictures of centerfolds and everything is lacquered in place, suggesting an easy cleanup for a man who needs to toast a load on the go. Jared fucking Leto is weirded out by the car, so he bails at a honky-tonk where he immediately gets his ass kicked by townies for wearing a backpack. Bob rescues him by threatening to sever a guy's dick in the bathroom, and we're off. It's buddy time! Back in Amarillo, we follow the election shenanigans as Dennis Quaid enters the picture as FBI Special Agent Frank LaCrosse, who was named after what he lettered in at Choate. It turns out that he's following a sick serial killer who kidnapped his son when it looked like the FBI task force was getting too close. But... Could Frank be the killer? The Bureau has taken him off the case because he's too conflicted by the disappearance of his son, but he's conspicuously Johnny on the spot for all these murders. However, Arlie Ermey trusts him because old cops know how it is, and even William Fickner's craven police chief also learns to do him a favor because breaking the law the good way is just what good cops do. Danny Glover kills another guy, Jared Leto saves an unrelated person which might make this road trip karmically square, and Dennis Quaid won't give up the hunt. There's a bit with a car on the edge of a cliff, a bad car accident, very incompetent train boarding, mistaken identity, and a reunion in Oakland. The whole thing is a dingly dang mess. But, oh wait, on the plus side, it does co-star Ted Lafine. He plays a great big cop person. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that that is it. <laughs> that is absolutely it. I don't know where we want to do the um, I am not a crackpot. This was made before 
in Germany, and we were going to talk about it last season on Quaid in Full, except it was remade as this, so now we're here, and time is a flat Quaid. Do we want to do that here? Do we want to do that later? I have no idea what you're talking about, so now I want to do that here. Okay. <laughs> okay. So um, late in season four, which was, um, according to the Julian calendar, about 72 years ago now, mm -hmm. as you're listening to this, uh, we had kidnapped on the docket as a film that was made in 1994, which the IMDb swears it exists, and it starred Dennis Quaid and a bunch of Czech and German people. It was apparently remade, like shot for shot styly. As switchback, but this is the only note that I can find about that fact anywhere. Hmm. So I'm starting to think that this IMDb entry is like, um, you know how map makers will put like a fake road, like just right. a teeny little cul-de-sac just for um, copyright to right. protect it from um, map plagiarism. I, I feel like this is that. But like these people have IMDb pictures, that a director was an American, that this was made in, that was made in 1994. And it's called Kidnapped, which makes it impossible to search. And then right. it's impossible to search strings like Kidnapped, Switchback, Quaid, Germany, what the fuck, because, <laughs> because kidnapping is a plot point in Switchback and what the fuck is a plot point in a lot of the reviews. So it's been really difficult for even this nosy records clerk emerita to get any information on this. And I'm not about to take my ass to the library like a chump. So, listener, <clears throat> if you have any information about the mysterious kidnapped, does this exist? Was it a um, The Day the Clown Cried situation? Is this IMDb entry a fake, um, I don't know, MacGuffin <laughs> Lane situation? Uh, do you have any advice for me about tasty decaf? Maybe, probably something that you're going to bring up. Uh, please reach out to us on Twitter at Quaid and Full Pod. There is so much to unpack there. First of all, I'm not even sure what the Day the Clown Cried version of Kidnapped would be. Like, it's a bit where Dennis Quaid is like, being kidnapped is good. All kids should be kidnapped. <laughs> or I, I don't know what horror show that would inspire. The other thing was the uh, the fake bit of factual data that I always enjoy is that in the original Trivial Pursuit edition, there's a question about what Columbo's first name is. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't have one. But the question in Trivial Pursuit gives you an answer because it was plagiarized from another trivia book where somebody put in that fake fact to huh. indicate that they were being plagiarized and they sued Trivial Pursuit and did not win. But that's the reason, like, why that question is still there. It's, it, it is there to catch plagiarists, and it worked, but not in a remunerative fashion. Um, yeah, there's also some urban legend about, um, there's a question about, what does this term indicate? And the answer is that you have two or more penises. And hmm. apparently that's, that was also a, a trap question, but I'm, huh. I'm really not sure what that was supposed to trap. Well, thankfully not me. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> or me, for the record. So the other thing that your bit on kidnap made me think was I tried to read a piece on E about the troubled story of bringing Switchback to life because okay. apparently and so the reason why I couldn't read it is that it cuts off after the first ad break, but it's not a pay article. Uh -huh. It's just like they only posted the stub of their own article and going through the Internet Archive, I couldn't get any results for it because E 
switched over their entire, I think, um, the way that they, they tracked and labeled articles. Mm-hmm. So their web address scheme change because if you click old imdb links it'll come up and, and like no this this review doesn't exist right but if you search e's site it'll bring up the review and i think this like there is an old web address we could put into the internet archive to get this article but it's completely different from the one we have and how the fuck are you going to find it any event jeb stewart apparently no relation apparently wrote this at, at stanford when he was a student so it took like 15 years to come to the screen or something like that okay so i don't know how kidnap would play into it like i don't know as if they would say like we'll just take the screenplay and go make it in germany as proof of concept or something but there was no hint of that in the i don't know six graphs that made it before the cutoff it was entirely about this is a guy who was in undergrad and he wanted to write these things and one of the things he was told was the easiest way to get a spec script made is make it about killers or make it a road trip so he Mm. made it a road trip about a killer this director has only directed one other thing that i can see something called blood done sign my name starring a bunch of uh known trumpers including um the ricker and uh nick searcy Mm. (laughs) former college friend of my husband now (laughs) Uh, you know he flipped out at me on on twitter for like two days (laughs) searcy yeah, yeah, because he was like bragging about like, oh, you know, if MAGA isn't great, how come I got this great hot tub? I'm having the best life. And I was just like, look at your fucking hot tub, man. <laughs> and I just kept going, like, how much did that cost? Can I see your penis? And he, and he was it's... just going for like two days. I, I Like it was too, I gave him like one mocking thing about like, you're fucking hot. Everybody can buy a fucking hot tub, Nick. Come on. I got him um, suspended for a few days on Twitter. <laughs> And my husband was like, why'd you bother? Like, who cares? You're just feeding into it. And I was like, he's like, why'd you bother? And I did have some reason, because also I never assume that my reports go anywhere. But maybe that was why. But I was like, let's just see. <laughs> let's just see if I can get this classified as hate speech. But I don't remember that happening. So who knows? His entire rage, it was it, it was that self-censored rage where you can see people are, are trying not to default to the burns that they grew up with which probably involve the f word as a homosexual slur mm-hmm. you can tell from the whole vibe like okay this is a guy who works with gay people it probably is perfectly fine with them but this is an instrument of ridicule that he really needs right now and he doesn't have it and it's because i'm teeing off on the fact that he was just wearing fucking swim trunks and in a hot tub and trying to be like am i not magnificent yeah you're the head piece of shit in charge in the fugitive take it easy which jeb stewart apparently also reworked the script of and he co-wrote die hard i've been on imdb trying to figure out who wrote kidnapped it doesn't say it just says stevenson the director is uh bruce seth green who is mostly known as a TV director, including that episode of um, Dawson's Creek where Andy McPhee overdoses on E in a bouncy house. (laughs) And uh, Ted, which was an excellent episode of uh, Buffy. And uh, everything else is TV except Kidnapped. I'm starting to think we're getting we're getting punked. Maybe. I don't think this shit exists. Is Ted the one with John Ritter as the the would-be stepdad? Uh Uh-huh. That's a good early one. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, again, listener, 
if you know anything about kidnapped or about um, IMDb slash map anti-plagiarism measures, please let us know. Also, if you have gotten Nick Searcy suspended from Twitter and or picked a fight with him about your genitals, let us know that too. We are we are interested. Can you tell that we don't really want to talk about this movie? Is that is that what's happening here? I don't I don't know. I laughed out loud a lot at this movie and never in ways it intended. There was at least two times when Dennis Quaid, who wore a, a peeved expression, and it's not like haunted, it's not bloodlusting, it's, it's not driven, it's, it, I mean, constipated. I was trying to, yes, yeah, I was trying to think, like, what, yeah, just, that's what it. bodily waste is like he trying to hold back, maybe, <laughs> while also being on this call, you know, like he's sort of just sitting around the, the conference table with all the other execs and and trying to look peevish so he doesn't look like he's straining to keep it in yeah i, I mean i would go with straining to get it out but i mean you know bagatelles i think this actor given how often we're finding him called upon to do it it's not particularly well suited for opacity of this type and when we get too far from heaven this is all this is all he does. Like he's he's trying to glower, I guess. Yeah. But it just seems like he's got the ring of fire or something <clears throat> else is happening in his pants that is not good. I feel like all of this is is ultimately Quaid qua Quaid stuff, but he's not the I mean, he's he's far from the only kind of off tone. I noticed well, in one of the yeah. reviews, it, it, Danny Glover was knocked for being too nice, mm -hmm. which I don't, you know, that seems to me to be a, like a, a problem of stereotyping of a reviewer going like, wait a minute, this killer should act like a killer at all times. And you're like, no, hang on. There's a reason why he hasn't been caught yet. Yeah. Do you understand that? But at times he's so far and away, like the only sympathetic guy. And like, he's the only person we've, we go to like any effort to discover the roots of and you're like well how did how does this guy have so many buddies yeah if he's this monster and and to the point where i don't care about anybody except maybe arlie ermy yeah i i cared about him do you want to talk any more about contemporary reviews since we're there because they all seem pretty uniformly unimpressed yes so this movie wound up earning i think like one fifth of, of what its actual budget was the reviews contemporary do not re reflect, I think, the same displeasure that we have, and they're they're not shy about it. E had a bullet review that I thought pretty much covers it. Dennis Quaid grits his teeth and knits his brow as Frank LaCrosse, an FBI agent so monotonously dour that he makes the X-Files Fox Mulder seem like Richard Simmons. After a serial killer kidnaps his son, LaCrosse goes AWOL from the Bureau and trails a retired railroad man, Danny Glover, killing time between lethal weapons, and a mysterious drifter, my so-called life cipher, Jared Leto, one of whom may be the culprit. In his directorial debut, screenwriter Jeb Stewart, die hard, ladles on the cliches, a barroom brawl, a train-top chase, and lets his narrative get bogged down in a boring subplot about a local sheriff's election. The thoroughly routine switchback may ultimately be remembered as the year's most forgettable movie. And they gave him a D plus. Mm. Ebert, in one of his days where it didn't seem like he was just looking for something good, echoed my <laughs> attitude toward it. If we lived in a more venturesome and curious world, switchback would have been about a sheriff fighting for re-election in Amarillo and about some rail workers trying to get a train through a blizzard. 
No serial killers, no obsessed FBI agents, maybe just enough of a crime for the sheriff and his opponent to fight over. What we have here is a potentially good movie swamped by the weight of Hollywood formulas it is forced to carry. And that's yeah. where I'm at. It's just really it, Danny Glover could have just not been a killer and been the same character. And we could have gotten rid of uh, Jared and Dennis and just had this been some local color. Yeah. It would have been fairly charming. Yeah. I would have been fine with that. I thought Arlie Ermy was perfect in this. Perfect against Fichte. Perfect in his scenes with Dennis Quaid. And that's bad for Quaid in this. But uh it's interesting that this guy comes to a like a series of very cliched scenes and responses with a naturalism that's not too folksy. I also wonder if like you know, I read reviews first, I know the so-called twist. So I think if you were reviewing this cold, then maybe you're frustrated by the switchbacks or whatever bait and switchbacks hey! oh drink that um <clears throat> the script is trying to do and like meanwhile in colorado like uh, okay but because i knew what was up from the jump it was like oh i'm a little interested to see how they cross the streams i guess not real interested but sort of sort of but yeah i you said before that ermy is sort of the only unqualified good about this movie and i agree he has a bodily weariness to what he's doing that doesn't seem like, you know, at any minute he's going to go, I'm too old for this shit. And it's a weariness that seems born of caring about doing it right. And so that all works together. He's a fully integrated character. Like every mood that you're seeing seems to come out of a central set of values and thought processes that make sense. So like, while it's sort of nice to see Fickner go like, hey, wait a minute. I'm supposed to break the rules for renegado cops, you know, like that seems tacked on because you've never seen any sign that he's really going to evolve this way. Right. Well, and also that he's good police. You don't cast Fickner for that full to face. I, I wouldn't say, but sure. Movie. What do yeah. you doesn't have the face for it? For one thing, mm -mm. maybe it's because Ermy is uh, like he really was a master sergeant or whatever. So maybe there are things about scripts like this that he that he doesn't do, that actor actors would do that would be predictable and tiresome. Mm -hmm. I pulled a clip where you're getting a bunch of sort of exposition about what's really going on with Quaid. And uh, the scene, again, does not necessarily put Quaid in the best light because he's in it with Ermi. But this is sort of the movie in a nutshell, is that you wish the movie were about one of them, but really it's about the other one's walls. So here's a clip two. Sit down and eat. Plenty more where that came from. No, thank you. Nonsense. I make the very best BLTs in this part of the country. Secrets in the tomato. Built a greenhouse out back. Grow he took my son. You asked me why he stopped killing. We were getting close. We'd had several breaks. Outside of Boston, we had roadblocks set up within 20 minutes of a murder there. And he slipped through. Everybody felt it was just a matter of time before we nailed that guy. 
took my son. And by doing that, he, he removed you from the case. Remember when you just yelled no <laughs> in our last episode <laughs> about like Dennis Quaid, Oscar real baby voice? <laughs> it's this again. It's not as bad here. But the contrast between what he's doing, which is like, I think he doesn't know what he's doing. I think that these kinds of obsessive, unconfident emotions are not things that Dennis Quaid can actually, they're not felt emotions for him as an actor. And then Ermi comes in at the end and has this very organic sounding response to what he's being told by the character, but also what the script is telling him he has to convey to the audience in terms of exposition, like, here's where we are. Mm. It's, yeah, I mean, it's just a it's just a shame. And I'd like to hear more about the Amarillo BLT. Right. Well, he's contest. right about the tomato, right? Yeah, like, anybody sure. can find, you can go to a butcher and get good bacon, you know? Like, the tomato is where you're kind of fucked regionally, like, unless you're you're doing hothouse tomatoes like he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get a BLT in Florida, that's going to be, you're going to get, like, a pink tomato, maybe gray, you know, it's going to be super watery, and it's not going to have any, you know, any kind know. of pop the to it. I don't know, the best tomato I ever ate in my life, which pained me since I have a Jersey tomato tattooed on me, was Ooh. in Florida. Really? Yeah. Well, our other podcast, uh, Tomatoes and Dicks, also... <laughs> Very interesting and on an extremely reliable publication schedule. Um, Heirloom penis out from Anchor Pod today. Uh, yeah, so they didn't like it. Do you want to rate it? I mean, do we should we talk any more about the movie? I feel like there are so many cliches. There's the honky tonk fight. There's a train chase. There's chasing a train with a car. There's the car on the edge of a cliff. It, it sort of felt like a joyless version of Temple of Doom where Lucas and Spielberg are like, what if we put a mining car chase in there? Yeah, fuck it. You know, then what, what if we had eyeballs? Yeah, fuck it. You know, and this is just sort of like, well, nobody will take it seriously unless we conclude with at some point him going like, do I, I'm just going to hang on this train tunnel for a while. Do I fall? I fall, right? That's what I do onto the train. After a sequence in which for someone with bad ankles to watch this was triggering. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was like you absolutely would be, first of all, you'd be worn down to stumps after like the third sort of gotcha where he, you know, the killer popping up out of the bathtub deal. Um, yeah. But he's just like he, his feet keep brushing the ground gently. Yeah. Like that's it's not how that's going to work. That is... Those bones are aerosol at this point. Um, it's also frustrating because he watches the train leave the station at like a comfy, maybe five miles an hour. And he's like, well, that train's getting away. And then just watches it sort of disappear over the horizon. He's, I know I'll chase it down in a car on snowy roads yeah. and then board it when it's going 25. Like you could have just, it was right there. Yeah. It's right there. Just, yeah, do the running now. Get it over with. And so we get 10 minutes of chase sequence. He's in a crash. He crashes into a snowbank and then into a creek. So it's it's water just above freezing. And he's wearing like a worsted wool suit. Just gets out and goes walking up a snowbank. At that point, actually, I thought maybe Danny Glover and, and Jared would be on foot because at that point their car has been wrecked mm -hmm. and would encounter him. And then we would have a like, is this good Samaritan? actually the bad guy kind of like when hans gruber and die hard meets john mcclain on the roof and he's like uh i'm my name's clay bill mm -hmm. clay you know like we were just gonna get that again and we didn't but like there's this 25 minute action sequence of like how does he get to the train that we could just lose 
by him boarding the train as it's pulling away from the station he's at 15 feet away at a snail's pace. But instead, we're like, oh, yeah, driving, poor conditions. Yeah. I mean, I guess the snowstorm in the third act, something. And the other frustration here, script and build wise, is that there's an it was only the cat in like the first Mm. five minutes. So I don't think this is a person who is oblivious to these tropes. Clearly, he's aware of them and probably able to leverage them, I would say, based on other work. But between the editing and a lot of things that do nothing to advance either suspense or plot, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's way too long. Quaid is not great in it. It doesn't know what its real story is. Like, I understand how things get pitched, and I'm compassionate towards that, but there's a reason they never show this one on cable at, uh, you know, four on a Sunday afternoon, because it's not, it's just not good. It just has no reason to be. And I don't think it could be fixed, actually, based on the structure. So overall, I mean, if you subtract Ermi from it, it's like a two. But he's there. He's pretty good. Watching fucking (laughs) Buffalo Bill trying to play a nauseated small town policeman (laughs) is uh, mildly diverting. (laughs) I didn't hate watching it, actually. So I'm going to give it a three and a half. Yeah, I I was like, is it good enough to be a four? Less than half the time is it good. I, I don't think I think five is too much. Yeah, I was like, is Agreed. four too gracious given how exasperated I was with the structure and the choices? You know, like I think Ebert. You know, this is one of those ones where he he nailed my sentiments on it really well. Like everything except the plot of the movie is really nice. Yeah, is well done. He's like, and, yeah, the mountains and, look great. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they do. They are shot. I like well. trains. I'm not going to lie. I like a train. I learned I, some processy shit about trains. That's where the point five came in, frankly. Yeah. Okay. So I'll I'll stick with four just because. That, well, that's what I came into it with. I I, I always feel slightly dishonest when I'm like, well, I'll, I'll agree with Sarah. What about Quaid? We have to we have to talk about Dennis. We have to talk about the choices he's made and how Dennisy he is. It's Quaid, Quaid. It is. I have a clip that I believe encapsulates what he is trying and failing to do sort of generally in season five. I think he's trying to get away from that trademark rakishness. Mm -hmm. I don't think this was good strat, but here's clip three and we can discuss. Hector Saldes, eight priors, two assaults with a knife, armed robbery, conviction of second degree murder in Oklahoma, and now caught in possession of a murder victim's wallet and car. All you've got on him is possession of a stolen vehicle. He didn't know about the wallet till I showed it to him. I bet he didn't even know there was a body in the car. Says you, ballistics have already matched the gun he used on my men as the one used to cap that John Doe in the car. Any more theories? Jack, I think all Frank's trying to say here is we need to keep our options open. There's no we in this, Buck. I have the suspect in custody, and as soon as I get the green light from the DA, I'm going to announce that Saldez is being charged with the murders of those three people. Don't do that. He's setting you up. You make that announcement, he'll kill again just to embarrass you. That clip was kind of long. 
I pulled it because you have a bunch of authentic Texas accent trait happening. And then <laughs> Fickner <laughs> dipped in Epcot Bourbon Street bourbon and fired out of a cannon into a net somewhere in Austin is d doing what whatever I say, whatever that is. Well, you know, Fickner's a way of life in Amarillo. <laughs> 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 I, I mean, no Zydeco though. No, None. no, no Zydeco. <laughs> it just is really a shame. Like, couldn't you, couldn't film and TV just accept that cops are from other places besides where they are cops and not make people who are not from the state that they're in do that accent with two? I mean, I don't actually know where Ermy's from. I think a Carolina. Well, he was stationed at Paris Island, but that doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, no. So you have Fickner trying to be Texan and then Quaid trying to have that mid-Atlantic accentless special agent thing yeah. happening and also doing that, this is the nighttime drive time on WMST Moist FM DJ voice. It's like, no, no, no. I, I don't think this decision for this character is the worst, but it goes against his brand and he's not executing. So he's the protagonist in this movie and I think he thinks it's very quaidy, but he's fighting himself as he tends to be doing in this period of his career. So I'm not totally right. sure how to rank it. I'm going to mull it over. Where did you come out on the quaidiness? It is so low. The last movie we did, gang-related, he didn't really have any room to be quady. Like the plot simply didn't afford it. You know, the only real development we got in his character was an out of the blue, breathy, honest confessional. And, you know, here he's not constrained by that, but that's a choice. There's one bit where a little bit of quady comes out where he's basically bamboozling the defense attorney over a piece of evidence brought to him by Walton Goggins. Mm -hmm. And oh, yeah. there's a little bit of swagger there. And then it just gets snuffed for the whole movie. So like, I don't want to give a number now. I just want to say like, kind of the thing I kept thinking of as we were talking about Quaid and his performance earlier, especially this is somebody who doesn't do opacity well. And your comment about this is somebody who's trying to act emotions. I'm not necessarily sure he, you know, processes in normal life. Mm -hmm. Like that's where I feel Dennis Quaid kind of is. It's like trying to teach a Labrador to display regret. Right. Like there's just one feeling that a Labrador has outside of Hungary. And mm -hmm. that's just like up for anything. Yeah. And I'm mixing animal metaphors, but like you don't get thoroughbreds for jumping and thoroughbreds for just racing. And, you know, you've got a jumping one and you're trying to tell it not to do that. And you're expecting the same performance. It's not going to work. Like you're taking a Labrador mentality and plugging it into this absolutely joyless, somber, ruined man. And the best it's going to do is just be really quiet at you. I think the animal metaphor is apt. Like, this is a steeplechaser that you're trying to make do dressage. I Blundering into Rafalka, knocking her over. <laughs> it's like the cutting edge, but for horses. <laughs> Sorry. Topic. Um, I think that he was probably told to hide his quaid under a bushel for this, or that it's like, it is not appropriate affect for a law enforcement agent who might otherwise be a little roguish and quady to when he's trying to find his kidnapped tiny child display any glimmer of wit or like 
satisfaction in a job well done. You just have to be DEFCON clench all the time. And why cast this guy? This is what I don't understand. Robert Patrick is alive. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Now I'm thinking of the the Patrick verse, the Robert Patrick timeline that this movie exists in, and I'm a little Mm -hmm. mad. I don't know. It's it's tough. Like he's he's supposed to be the center of the movie, but A, he isn't really, because B, he was cast once again against type and it it isn't working. So I feel like I can't go too low for something that he's in this much. But also he's not in it that much, net, because of these two stories that are converging. Right. And even then, I mean, he's the center of it in the sense that like he's the center of a gravity well that pulls all the other like pulls entertainment out of the plot, Uh Uh, you know. Yeah. And pulls sort of joy and interest. I don't want to go first. Do I have to? I mean, like if you had just flipped him and Danny Glover, this would be a much better movie. Maybe. But do you think that Quaid would also have been like, I need to act killery and wouldn't understand that sociopathic charm is on the is on the menu. Well, I mean, if we presuppose that he took direction, like maybe he would take direction like, okay, I want you to just like act like this guy is the new pledge at your fraternity and you're taking him to your college in Las Vegas. And you like to call it lost wages. Nice. I'm not, uh, I'm not sure (laughs) that would work any better, but it would work. It would not work less annoyingly. All right, I'm I'm prepared to give it a number. I'm also prepared to change the number based on what you say. Two. Two and a half. Okay. Okay. Next time on Quaid in Full, Savior. In the meantime, read a personal letter from a serial killer in the show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod. Wondering when your favorite Quaid joint is getting covered or want to advertise on a specific film or TV show's episode? DMs are open. Or get even more content at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Quaid in Full. Quaid in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? Drop off the edge of that train tunnel and go sign up wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, I bet you have. <laughs> I forgot. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a little algorithm thing you might also like. Oh, no. Would you like to hear what you might also like? Is it more tomato content? Yes. Tell me. The Gene Hackman, Hugh Grant vehicle, Extreme Measures, <laughs> Unlawful Entry, Pacific Heights, and Murder at 1600. Uh, I mean, I, I do like Unlawful Entry, she, she says. Oh, wait. <laughs> I kind of liked Extreme Measures, but like, I I also could just kind of, you know, you expressly do not got to hand it to the algorithm, but I kind of got to hand it to the algorithm. Yeah. It's like, here's better, but also crappier versions of that that didn't think they were something else. Yeah, I could see it.